This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Hi everyone, I'm Emily and I'm absolutely fine, but last night I hurt my back sleeping. Oh, strenuously sleeping. (laughs) Exactly, violently sleeping. I went to bed at like a normal functioning, well, vaguely functioning human woman and I woke up and my back was all in the middle between my shoulder blades, completely locked. And I feel, yes, I can only turn my head a little bit. You know, it's like when you suddenly feel like you're kind of a robot. Do you think your subconscious was making you sort of thrash around desperately? Yes, exactly. Or maybe I was just rolling over and that's just where we are now. Breathing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Breathing too hard. Anyway, uh, Annabelle, how are you? Hi, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine. But I was doing my online grocery order and I found myself rather disconsolately ordering cottage cheese. <laughs> trying to solve the sort of lazy lunch problem. You know, lunch is so depressing when you work from home quite so a lot. So depressing. And I really, I'm very unhappy about the fact that I've ordered cottage cheese. It reminds me of my grandmother being on sort of the Scarsdale diet in 1983 and eating <laughs> Rivita and cottage cheese. I know. And I just feel like, you know, if someone were to look at my grocery orders in, you know, a hundred years time, what would they make of me? What manner of woman was this? Why was she buying cottage cheese? What does that say about her life? Pertinently... Yeah, considering who we have here today. I'm so glad you asked. Regular listeners of the podcast will know that we absolutely love a book that revolves around women's stories, you know, that reclaims and wrestles the narrative from the petty patriarchal postures of history. So we were delighted when Annabelle Hirsch's History of Women in 101 Objects landed on our doormats. The book tells the story of female history through things, revealing the evolution of the role women have played through the quiet power of their everyday items, perfumed gloves, thumbscrews, sewing machines, the Bronte's miniature books, the contraceptive pill and abortion testimony. Female life through the ages, ordinary and extraordinary is here. Now, Annabelle, another Annabelle, so it's going to get confusing, sorry, but Annabelle Hirsch is here today to talk to us about her book and I cannot wait to get going. But first, Annabelle, how are you? Well, hello, I'm Annabelle. I'm absolutely fine, but I just surprised this morning a parrot sitting in my orange tree and eating my oranges, which I find not very nice. Rude. (laughs) Very rude. Totally unpolite. Not every day you get to ambush a parrot, though. Did it fly away or did it just sort of stare at you? No, they sit on the orange. They eat it like sitting on it. While sitting on it, they look at me and it's like they're laughing at me. Like, you know, (laughs) like, 
it's no, it's it's very unpolite, but they tend to do that. So it's not the first time. I love the idea that they sit on the orange. They consume it while they're on it. It's a colonize the orange. Yeah, basically. Yeah, my God, it's a takeover. They actually put their whole head in it. <laughs> It looks super weird. It's, I mean, um, yeah. unnecessary. So undignified. <laughs> it's so funny um, looking at the world through the lens of your book. And suddenly, don't you find, Emily, you look around and you think, could that be in the book? What would, the, what would an orange say about a woman? What would a stuffed parrot say about a woman? What would any number of things say about women? As you say in your book, and I love this line, finding or at least trying to find a way to be themselves throughout the last millennia. Yeah, I think the idea of the book is to maybe not succeed, but just to try, which I find something um, extremely important and that we tend to underestimate because we always look at the things that were successful and if they weren't, it's like they didn't exist. Mm. But I think that the trying is actually the very interesting part of life, right? Mm. And also particularly with women, Emily and I were saying earlier, who, you know, we're told to be either invisible or extraordinary. Exactly. And this is also the whole point, because I felt like when I started to have the idea on on the book that we tried to rewrite history through this lens of women, but that we always only said there were um, these like 50 very cool and very extraordinary and very powerful and very successful women, which is amazing. But then most of us aren't. We're just very basic and very normal and sometimes very extraordinary and sometimes not. And this is also what I find much more interesting, actually, than people that are just successful. And so, yeah, it was um, more the idea to not talk only about the extraordinary bit, because that's kind of rare. And then it's also finished. Once it's done, it's finished. Yes, the idea of completion, which doesn't really help us. But it's quite zeitgeisty at the moment, isn't it, to talk about the success myth. The fact that we've all been duped into believing that that's the only thing we should be interested in and what's it even mean. And this book is all about process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I think it's very contemporary, right? I mean, uh, we are maybe not of that generation, but I feel like that people that are way younger than we are are much less driven by this idea of success and what is success also. They, they probably have a very different idea of of what success would mean. And probably to them, success would mean much more the, yeah, the process, which... Mm. Well, which is much more also telling about how, how it is to be human, to, um, you know, the, the struggle, the, the doubts. I really like doubts, for example. Mm. I, think, I think that we tend to also feel like doubt is something that is bad. And in fact, it's the most interesting and the most powerful and also the most, I mean, the only thing that might lead us to success in some way. Right? Yeah. Also, it's incredibly human. And, you yeah, know, and, you know, and, and you know, to a certain extent, quite female. I mean, uh, you know, a woman is it perhaps is. a little more likely to question herself, both for the good and for the bad, than your traditional great white male. <laughs> the great white yeah, male. Yeah, but that's, that's also what I like. I mean, I feel like even, even now, you know, with, every, with everything that is going on in the world, I feel like people don't doubt enough. And that is, in fact, as you say, that's, that's a very male posture to say I know Mm. you know I know how it is I know what we should do I know who's right I know who's wrong and I feel like no how can you know no you don't (laughs) no you don't obviously you don't don't. but it's interesting as well in terms of we interviewed a, a sort of brilliant female entrepreneur called Sahar Hashimi this year and she said you know the worst thing you can tell girls I think is follow your dreams or what are your passions what are your passions (laughs) such a crushing question (laughs) 
And I feel yeah. like this book is so helpful for that because actually it just reminds you. I mean, I was so moved by the first entry into the book, which is the healed femur. Do you want to point, tell us yes. a little bit about the, the healed femur, which is your opening gambit? Yeah, and it's it's a bit surprising for me because you would probably, I don't know, look for something else than a bone. But I start with this story by Margaret Mead, this um, anthropologist. She was in the 60s in US in a university and she had asked, what would be, in your opinion, the object that would represent the beginning of our civilization or what would stand for our civilization opposed to animals or other animals? And she said, in a kind of a bit mysterious way, it would be a healed femur. And so she explained, in nature, obviously, an animal would never survive if it breaks uh, his leg, uh, because it would be eaten by others, would not find to eat himself, I mean, would just die. And the fact that a human had survived, as this um, healed femur shows us, shows that someone was there to take care of this person, to bring him food, to, I don't know, to just be there also, to just re-comfort him. And she says, in fact, this is what makes us human and this is what makes us so, so strong as a species. It's not that we are fighting, that we are making wars and we're conquesting new territories and all this stuff that we think is the most important in history. But... If you take like the most basic thing, it is that we take care of others. And I, I find this such a, such a strong and such a beautiful idea to say, I mean, we have all those discussions about care and care work and how it is today. And I felt like going back to really the beginning and saying that the way we tell history as something that is driven by violence, by wars, by conquest, also maybe by I don't know what we invented and all those things that are actually important and that are also history, but that we always tend to totally put to the side the fact that all this stuff couldn't be done if there weren't people that were taking care, that were raising children, that were nice, that were, I don't know. So um, so is it is it really about women as, as the caregivers forming the backbone of possibility in the development of civilization? In a way... You could also say, because she doesn't say there was a woman taking care of this person, right? So this is what I say, that given how history evolved in all the centuries afterwards, I would suppose maybe it wasn't a woman. But in a way, maybe it wasn't. And maybe that's also not so important. But given the fact that we tend to think that care work is a female thing, and because it is a female thing, we also tend to think that it's less important than all the other stuff that we feel like is more male as being um, conquesty and powerful. I felt that it's a good entry to say maybe this part of our life that we are always um, overlooking in a way, also because it's uh, supposed to be something female, which it isn't, in fact, I think. Maybe we could tell history more from this point of view of the things that we overlook, that we dismiss as being kind of something that can be neglected because it's it's what we do but then it's not so important mm. it's not it's not powerful and in fact it is because nothing would work if there weren't people that were taking care yeah. this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada you can shop for everything on your agenda Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This as well, it's a reminder, isn't it, that women were there. I think that's the other thing that's really interesting about what the narrative that runs through your book is that, yes, the, the sort of invisibility of women is something that we've come to expect. But actually, you know, women were there. They were companions. There's so much in your book about uh, there's so many objects that were either supported by women or used by women in order to make huge differences to things that, you know, that they helped with the genesis of the idea, but they didn't need to take the credit or they didn't feel like, or they didn't maybe All have the opportunity. things made by women and then destroyed by men. Yes, well, that's true. Sappho's poems. Yeah. I mean, fascinating. Will you tell us about Sappho's poetry? Yeah, so Sappho was um, a very important poet, but also on Lesbos, on this island in Greece, she was um, kind of a teacher, so young girls from good society would be brought to her to be educated. So she was one of the first uh, women who, who was very educated. But what is interesting is that, in fact, I don't know if those families knew who they are giving their children to. She was not at all how, I mean, women in ancient Greece, that was not a funky life, right? I mean, you would spend like your whole life and your whole days um, in the Genesee. I don't know how it's in English, but probably the same, Genesea or something. So in this part of the house that is for women, so it was really a life that was extremely dull, right? And Safu was not at all. And then, of course, she's extremely well-known because she's supposed to or she was very often very in love with the girls that she was teaching. So she wrote those very beautiful poems about the love and also about the desire. That's a bit what I'm talking about, that she is kind of the first woman to really express in an extremely contemporary way, right? Or in a way that totally speaks to us, I would say, about how desire, how passion is felt, what it does to you, to your body, to your mind. And yes, and then, so she was very famous. And prolific as well. She produced a lot of work. She produced a lot of work. And she was also, and that is also very fun about her, she was extremely convinced that she would be famous forever. So, and this is something that is totally, I mean, even today, right? I mean, how many women are standing up and saying, I'm sure I'm going to be extremely famous and everyone will know my name even in 200 years or if in two centuries. It's literally um, Madonna and Lady Gaga, right? It's not sort of... Yeah, like, but that's uh, an exception. I know, right? exactly. That's what I mean. Exactly. It's just, it's just those women really rather than the kind of the women we're talking about. Anyway, yeah. And in this time, I mean, in ancient Greece, come on, that's like totally absurd to think that. But she was extremely convinced about that. She... I don't remember the line exactly, but she said, my name will be known like, you know, through the ages, which is amazing. I love it. It's like something out of a Marvel movie, (laughs) like like the baddie standing on the mountaintop. Yeah. Yes. You know, the world will never forget me. Yeah, terrible narcissist. But yeah, yeah, but, but what happened next, Annabelle? <laughs> no, but then as you as you said, so so some of her works got lost in the burning of the Library of Alexandria. And then in the Middle Ages especially, they found her writing way too sexual for a woman. So that they started to use it to for example, they made like um uh, how, how do you say in English, like pap mache, like they, you know, 
papier mache and they would stuff for example uh, crocodiles that would was even before the middle ages they would they would stuff <laughs> crocodiles with her poems so um yeah so they they never they never really understood and no then actually in the middle ages they started to be able to read her poems without thinking that this is a bit touchy they said she was not a lesbian she threw herself down from a rock into the water and died because she was desperately in love with this guy that loved her you know and so so this was the idea also to say she wasn't homosexual so maybe it's okay that she was very passionate but then she really survived i mean she is really i think one of the most famous poets and if you if you try to i mean if you read like anthologies from love poems or erotic poems she's always in there well and she's a word right sapphic right that's the she's, she's actually, a word she's a word which is obviously the top top thing but can you that's imagine yeah. yeah can you imagine them you know taking the sort of the plays of shakespeare and going all oh, right we'll just use this to stuff her yeah uh, it's I mean, a, such denigration we'll pump head. it we'll stuff we'll pulp it <laughs> we'll crazy, stuff a right? toy with it and then we'll say that she was straight and in love with a man yes. she loves she was in the, all the all this poetry is about us yes of course it is it's about us men of course it is and look at this look at this only us men can ignite desire exactly and then look at this crocodile that i've killed with my sort of you know bare arms or whatever yes Terrible. I mean, it's pathetic. Yeah, it's pathetic. Um, and it, what are your favourite objects out of your 101? Oh, I really like, you know, this um, breasts from the beginning of the 19th century, which is a very small self-portrait by a miniature painter uh, from Boston. And it's called Beauty Revealed. It's in the Metropolitan Museum. It's extremely cool because she made this self-portrait to send it to a guy that she was interested in. And it's kind of subverting um, this tradition of the portrait that was made of the future of the fiancé to show the guy that probably has never seen her how this fiancé looks. And so those portraits were, were always made in a very, you know, in a manner that this woman looks extremely beautiful, but then also very shy and very, you know, very pleasant. Well, the one that comes to mind, of course, is Anne of Cleves. Yes, exactly. Um, and then, you know, it was sort of, you don't look like your pictures, you're buying the drinks till you do. She lands and he goes, no, 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 thanks. Henry VIII, you can be my sister. That is all. Um, yeah. So she basically sent, sent, sent a nude. Yeah. Yeah. And she, I mean... For one, it wasn't him who asked for it because they were friends. But I mean, he, he did ask for that. She just sent it and she said, yeah, she, it's kind of the first sex thing, I would say. Right. I mean, yeah, she just sent him this this breasts to tell him probably I'm available. And also, I don't know, I'm not just a good friend. And also I'm, I'm very good looking because her breasts are very pretty. Um, so, so I really love this object because I find it so I mean, it's so nice if you go back into history to see that women have always been extremely fun and extremely witty and extremely bold and that we are like by far not the first to be like that if we are. It's a bit like you would, you know, like you would actually really meet a friend and, and she would tell you, I just did this and you would be like, no, <laughs> that's so cool of you. Stop texting so, him. Stop yeah. sending him pictures of your boobs. I mean, the other thing that's really great about that story as well is that she was in her 40s, right, when she sent the pictures. She wasn't, yeah. like, and the boobs are definitely not the, that she's she used a so little bit of a hashtag retouching. filter. Yeah, yeah so good. So, well, like recently someone someone said to me that this, because I say that, right, because I find that those boobs, they look like the boobs from someone who's 15, in my opinion. 
But then she, this, this woman I met, she said, well, I find it not right that you say that they have so many girlfriends there in their 50s and they have great boobs. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, just because your boobs are not standing just under you, you know, and it doesn't mean that they're not great. In fact, they are probably much greater. And no, and so we had this, this whole discussion about um, how decrepitude or how like, you know, just aging is something that seems, as, as she was telling me, as as being bad and i feel like i mean no I, i feel like women always get more beautiful in a way aging right and even if the boobs are not standing like this anymore who cares <laughs> but it does sort of inspire quite strong opinions this book i mean you know we've certainly both had conversations with people about things that they think should be included and what would you put in yes. a book like this and you know people really are prepared to cast their mind through history and wonder how one might patchwork it together. But that's also what, I mean, I think I say it in the introduction, that's what I actually wanted because it's it's called a history, right? not, not the history of women. So it's, this is my collection, but then everyone, of course, has another thing that they would put in there, another story that they would feel like is extremely important. And that's also kind of the idea that, that it's more like an open conversation than a finished thing because it's never finished and that's also what so I mean that's what what is great about the fact that a female history is not that well taught today that it gives us so many open fields that we can still explore that we can you know it's like discovering new islands so that's also a very cool thing so yeah everyone can can there are some things that I did put in there because people told me about and they seem to feel It's extremely important that it's in there and I didn't feel like it is, but then I put them in just to kind of be nice. Um, <laughs> no, because like what, what were the examples of things that people felt strongly about and you didn't feel so strongly about? For example, the miniskirt. I think I wouldn't have put it in, but then every time I talked to people telling I'm doing this story of Burma, they were like, oh, you put in the miniskirt, right? And I was like, well, I don't know, actually no, but then... After the tenth time, you know, I, I was like, okay, maybe I should put in the mini skirt because if people feel like this is something that is so important, probably it is. I mean, the choice was mine, so really, actually, every every object is my choice, and I have a very strong relationship to every object. I would say, but then it's also a collective thing in the sense that it's yeah, it's it's to open up conversations. Mm. What I also like about the book is how it can, it's incredibly generous in the idea that every single one of those stories that you or every object will lead someone to further study if they wanted to. Like I was particularly gripped with the story of the Venetian courtesan, Veron Veronica Franco. Now I want to read everything about her. Do you know what I mean? And I yeah. think that, that that's so nice, isn't it, to be able to, so you can both, you know, read it as a thing in itself. And but you can also read it as a sort of the beginning of a path to a whole lot of study into different aspects of women's lives that, you know, that like that haven't been illuminated before. I like the fact that it's about humor and horror. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's about power and subjugation. There's a sort of nod towards the rich tapestry of all the, the thumbscrew, for example. Oh, I love that. Will you tell us about the thumbscrew that you included? Yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, the thumb screw is a horrible object that I relate to the story of uh, Artemisia Gentileschi, this um, Italian painter. She was raped by a friend of her father who was giving her um, drawing classes. She was a painter, uh, or even even then already kind of kind of famous. And she had one of the few, I think, in this time's trials, which was extremely, or, or which is until today an extremely famous trial in a way and during those rare rape trials they were not uh, torturing the guy who was accused but the accuser so the woman so they would take this thumb screw put the thumbs into this thing that was out of bronze or metal or whatever and would close it so the thumbs were kind of squeezed between two plates and if during this torture she still would say he did this then they might maybe believe her I mean the probability that it's so hurtful and 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 so horrible that she says okay you know what I I invented this let's move on was kind of very um, high and Artemisia what I found extremely interesting in this particular thing is that Artemisia was a painter so she needed her hands right I mean even if the thumbs are maybe not the most important, but I mean, see, they are. So she was taking the risk of not being able to do anymore what she did because she really wanted to go to this trial and to also to win. And the thing that is extremely um, interesting with this is that she did win, which is until today mm. something that is extremely rare. And she shouted out something completely amazing, didn't she? Well, it was like, this is the ring, because then they said that... Yes, this is the ring you have given exactly. me. Like like a sort of like at the end to her accuser in yeah. the, at the moment of torture so it's basically like a play on marriage and ring and love exactly. and courtship and whatever that these are the thumb screws I mean kind of amazing and, no and also I mean this shows so much because I didn't realize but then while working on the book I, I read a lot of mythology a lot of you know about ancient ancient Rome ancient Greece and I realized how much in a way our culture is really based on stories about violence against women and where the men are never judged and so I find it extremely interesting but also like really terrifying that what we're talking about today very often that when there's a rape trial that the accuser tends to feel at the end as if she's accused of something like why didn't you do this why didn't you know and then yeah, you're violated and then you're violated again exactly in the, in the public sphere or whatever yeah and that this goes on until now that in fact it is never it is always the victim that is tortured in a way and and, and never the one who did it or who might have done it at least so it's very sad actually if you go back in history there are some moments where it's very Nice to see how close we are still to those people who lived a very long time ago. And then it's also devastating to realize how 
little we have evolved. I mean, this was in 1612, I think, and we're in 2023. And the few cases I know where this kind of stuff happens, it feels like nothing changed. No, there was that swimmer, Brock Turner, wasn't it? In that university in America about five years ago. And the judge said... Yeah, you probably did it. Violently raped a woman who no, was no, left he did, unconscious. He, no, he was convicted, did, but, but said, spared prison because it might ruin his because career. It, yeah, exactly. we don't really want to ruin He's your a life. really good student. He's going to do really well. So. so so, he left a woman literally behind a dumpster. A dumpster. Yeah. Unconscious behind a dumpster in the middle of the night. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. The proximity. I mean, that's uh, the beautiful thing about the book, I suppose. And again, the beautiful thing about the the idea of doing it through objects is how close we are to all of this stuff you know in our daily lives whether we pick up a you know a needle or not or whether we pick up a hairbrush or not or whether we you know I don't know a vibrator or not whatever but all of these things have come through a journey Mm -hmm. a journey for women in terms of the way that we put ourselves together the way that we what we're frightened of and what we're not frightened you know and that's how that is revealed in it yeah it's very very nice with the object they really function to me like like a bridge it's really like you can really have a you know like this this very fine but but still very strong line between us and between the past and so it 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 really I mean I hope it does but I think it does it really brings the past alive in a way right it's it's not that we're because to me, that's why I did it in this way, because to me, history is often told in a way that it feels like those were other people, you know, that those, they were very different from what we are. But in fact, they were not at all. They were exactly the same. They were thinking the same. They were hoping the same. They were afraid of the same. They were crying about the same. And so it's so nice to feel that. And also what is interesting and very cool, I think, about objects, it's that you can tell stories in very different ways. You can be very close to one person in particular, but you can also say something about the society around it, why this society in this particular moment tended to you know, find this kind of objects important or wanted to have them. So it's, a very, it's, it's very flexible as a prism to look at history. So that's interesting. I know what you mean about when we look at history, that the distance can create a kind of simplification in our minds. That yeah, was a right? bad, yeah. violent man. That was an oppressed, you know, distressed woman. And that was all that they are. And the nice thing about telling it through the objects is it allows the nuance and the idea that you can either, mm-hmm. you can focus exactly. on certain bits, amplify others, and you can have some perspective around what was going on. And also that means that each two-page chapter almost object is sort of a yeah. book in itself yeah you know, it's like what you were saying emily if, you, if you're yeah. particularly interested in the b-day you can go off and go oh well, i think i'll go and <laughs> have a little deep dive into google about the b-day or the lady with the what was that statue that wonderful statue which has got like a vulva basically with a face on it <gasps> oh yes the booba ah the booba yeah. Yeah. Ah, she's amazing, right? I really love her. I find the sculpture extremely cute. And then also, I really like this story. Should I tell it quickly? Yes, please. So there are very few of them, but I think, I mean, she, she's kind of famous as a, as a figure, the Bobo figurine. She's from, let's say, second century before Christ. And um, so the, the myth goes that Demeter and Persephone were like walking around and then suddenly the underworld god Hades arrived and took Persephone and Demeter, who was in charge right, um, for the harvest, for agriculture and for basically then life on earth, was so depressed that she didn't do anything anymore and so 
the whole world was kind of crumbling and nothing grew anymore and people were going to die. Um, but she was so sad because she loved her daughter so much and she, she couldn't just, she couldn't get over it. And so she was walking around and she met Bobo, this very old woman who was trying to cheer her up and was trying to explain it's going to be fine, who offered her food and drinks and stuff. And nothing worked. And then Bobo, we don't know why, had this brilliant idea to put up her skirt and to show her her vulva. And this must have been, I mean, you can imagine, a bit surprising. So Demeter um, started to laugh. And with this laugh, she kind of freed herself from this whole um, sadness. And then she started to think and then they found a solution. And Persephone was spending half of the time with um, Demeter um, and half of the time with Hades. And so this is how the seasons were born also. I mean, I love the idea that a woman can save the world by showing her sex, can save the world by making someone laugh and not by, you know, not, not like all the other guys from that time that were more like killing people. And so, yeah, I find it a very, a very cute and very, very strong story also because it shows that power is a very relative thing. You can have power in very for many forms and it can also be by making someone laugh. And you should never underestimate an old woman's vulva. There also, you go. It, no, it's also like, this. It's such a great book, and I think I should also say that anyone who doesn't get their hands on it for Christmas, the audio book is coming out, and I think March. And it's you know it's really captured the imaginations of lots of interesting. But Olivia Coleman is reading on the audio book. Who else is reading on the English audio book? I can't remember, but it's some ah, very very interesting names. Women, yes, we have uh, Margaret Atwood who uh, reads about the witches. <gasps> And just the way she says witch is like amazing. Um, we have Helena Bonham Carter. We have, I think, Kate Winslet. Yeah, Olivia Coleman, Gillian Anderson. I don't know exactly who I'm allowed to say so, but we have a, we have a lot of really, really amazing women. I mean, that would be a rollicking good, you know, couple of hours in the car. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, absolutely yeah. brilliant. Uh, no, they they have the most beautiful voices. We have also like some that are not not English or not American, so they might have a little accent. So I really like it because it feels like, you know, it's like a chorus. It's also like a sorority thing in a way. All those women coming together, giving their voices to women of the past. It's something that I find extremely beautiful as a, as a whole, as an idea. Well, it's wonderful to talk to you about it. So uh, about Annabelle Hirsch, A History of Women in 101 Objects. Get your hands on it. And, and thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks. You've been listening to Annabel Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Midult. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. Subscribe.